So I want to talk, we've been emphasizing the authority of scripture, uh, but I, I want to, and, and it's important for Adventist education if we're going to teach our children to think biblically, but there's another dimension that I don't want to leave out, and that is what is the goal of Christianity? What, you know, why did Christ come to live and to die on our behalf, and how does that relate to what we've been talking about in terms of world view. So Simeon Stylites was uh, a monk in the second, third century. He was a pagan, uh, very wealthy pagan, converted to Christianity. When he was converted to Christianity, he sold off all of his goods. He set aside a portion for his sister so she could live for the rest of her life. And then he gave the rest of the church. And then he went out into the wilderness and found a, a cave out there, and he meditated in that cave. Pretty soon the nearby villagers discovered that this pious monk was out in this cave meditating, so they wanted to be close to the pious monk, so they came in and crowded around him, and pretty soon he felt like the world had crowded around him, and that wasn't his reason for going to the cave. So he moved further out into the wilderness, built a platform so that he could separate himself from the world and meditate. Well, pretty soon the world found out where he was. And so when they came out, they built platforms around him so that they could be close to the pious monk. It, it is an interesting story, isn't it? Okay. So finally, according to tradition, he lived out his life 60 feet high in the air in order to separate himself from, from the world and meditate. Now, is that Christianity? Okay, see a few notes. Now that doesn't mean that meditation isn't important to Christianity, but but he he took it to an extent, and probably the kind of meditation was probably an Eastern meditation meditation rather than a biblical meditation. So anyway, so some people say, well, if we keep the law, then we'll be saved, or if we go to church or pay tithe and offering, add a couple extra cents to make sure. Or if we know the doctrine, all 28 of them. And if we add a 29th, we'll know that one too. Uh, these are all things that we think that we can do ourselves for salvation. And by the way, if we can build our own foundation, then salvation is no longer by grace, but by works, uh, which is an important point. Okay. Uh, so Christ tells us what Christianity is, and this is life eternal, but what? I know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. And so if our students don't leave without knowing Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and having a personal relationship with God, they've missed one of the main reasons that we have for our schools. And so this is life eternal that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. And sometimes I think we, we don't dwell on the aspects in scripture about the love of God. And scripture is God's love letter to us from cover to cover. The Bible is his love letter, not only in the New Testament, but also in the Old Testament. So just to look at a few of these passages. Since you were precious in my sight, you've been honored 
and I have loved you. Yes, I've loved you with an everlasting love, therefore with loving kindness I have drawn you to me. I drew them with gentle cords, with bands of love. The book of Hosea, those of you who haven't had a chance to, to study it carefully, a very interesting book. Uh, Hosea is asked to marry a woman of ill repute. They have three children together, and then she runs off for other lovers. And of course, it's, it's a story about the way Israel has treated God. And, God. and Hosea woos her back, just as God woos us back. And she comes back, and then she goes out again, comes back and goes out again. And so I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely in spite of what she's doing. You will love them freely. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice and loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. But God demonstrated his love towards us and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were even enemies, he died for us. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. God is love. Okay, so God loves each of us individually. He would, he would have died for each of us individually. It's not that God loves the world generically. It's that he loves each of us individually. Obviously, he loves the world generically, but he loves each of us individually. It's the difference between talking about my grandkids and talking about uh, Kirsten, Ethan, and Aiden. You know, personal relationship rather than just relating to grandkids. So God relates to each of us personally. Unfortunately, sin disrupts our relationship with God. Sin is the transgression of the law. What is the law? It's a description of who God is. And so when we sin, we break the law, we go against God's character and break our relationship with him. So, but God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. If Christianity is the restoration of a relationship, then why doctrine? Why not just concentrate on the relationship? Why worry about doctrine? Well, what are some of the key elements in intimate relationships? And it would take us all day to discuss that. I'd like to just suggest three. One is knowledge of the other person. One is understanding of yourself. And another is understanding the proper relationship between yourself and another person. I mean, how many relationships have faltered because a person doesn't understand themselves. One time I was in a discussion with a person, just to illustrate it, and of course I'm talking about the other person, but it can happen to me too. And uh, coming back again and again and again, and I'm trying to understand, what do you have in mind? What, what do you want? What could I do to satisfy you? So finally I said, so what is it that you want? What, what can I do to satisfy you? And the answer was, I don't know. Well, it doesn't matter how hard I try, if that person doesn't know, I can't fulfill their needs. So 
understanding ourselves is important. And I'm going to illustrate uh, the last one also, and that is uh, understanding the other person, or, how, or rather how to relate to the other person. Let's suppose that I was relating to the Queen of England or the King, uh, let's say the President of the United States or, or my granddaughter or my wife or my secretary. Each of those would have a unique relationship that would be proper. And if I step out of the bounds of that relationship, I would destroy or at least harm the relationship. So we have a special relationship with God. So, so God tells us about himself through doctrine. He helps us to understand ourselves. He describes the proper relationship for us to have with us. So doctrine plays those at least those three roles. I'm not saying that's all, but it helps us to know who God is, who we are, and how to relate to God. Uh, so let's go back to some of the texts there in Hosea. Then she forgot me. Now that's knowledge, right? She forgot about him. Uh, and this is life eternal, that they might know you, the only what God? Not the God that we create, not the God of our imagination, uh, but the only true God who has revealed himself. By the way, coming back to, to John 1, uh, we've mentioned several times that Christ came to reveal the Father to us. Does that mean he came to just reveal a hazy idea about who the Father is? He came to reveal the only true God to us. Okay. And Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Let us pursue knowledge of the Lord. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding that we know, may know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Why does he add at the end of that, keep yourself from idols? That's right, false god, uh, an idol is a false god. And so he's saying, I, w I wanna have that relationship with you. I don't want you to wander off and have the relationship with the false gods. Okay, so doctrines influence relationship by their influence upon our character. It's the law of the mind and character that we will become like the person or thing that we admire most in our lives. So if we admire a Hollywood star or whoever most in our lives, our lives will become, begin to become like that person. Or if we put a thing first in our lives, we'll begin to become like that person. If we admire God most in our lives, we will be drawn toward God and become like God. Uh, and so, you know, think, think of... Let's say God's here, and I think God's here. I'm going to become like this God, the God of my imagination, and be separated from the true God who has revealed himself to me and, and wants me to enter a relationship with him. Uh, 
Now, so it's important what we think of God. But I, I want to point one other thing out, and that is uh, we'll never know another person totally. We're never going to know God totally. That's part of what salvation is about, right? That throughout eternity we'll learn more and more about God. So does that mean then that it matters if there's something I don't believe about God? You know, it's different not knowing something totally about a person and rejecting part of who a person is. I, I have a close friend, a scientist, who, uh, in my opinion, is one of the top scientists in the world. And one thing, I, one thing I like about him is how carefully he takes care of his students. I've seen it time and time again, how he'll do something special for his students, and they love him as a result of that. Now suppose I said, I think my friend is just trying to gain favor with the students. He doesn't really care about the students. He, he just cares about his reputation. He wants to be teacher number one in the school. Now what would happen to our relationship? Now he would still, he would still be friendly towards me because that's who he is. But I would begin to withdraw from him. And so it's one thing not to know some totally about another person. It's another thing to reject aspects of the life of a person. And certainly it's, it's, it's serious to reject things about God, to say, God, I don't think you might, you're my creator. I, I came by evolution. Or, or God, I don't think you died on the cross. It's pagan for God, somebody to die on the cross for another person. Or, you know, so many different ways in which we can reject God or just simply leave him out of our lives. Well, I wanted, let's take some time for some very quick illustrations. And I think this has parallels to education as well. So what does the Sabbath tell us about God? For illustration. I heard somebody saying something. Pardon? It's a seal, okay. It's a seal that we've committed ourselves to God, right? Yes. Okay. Very good. So the Sabbath, right up front, tells us that God is a personal God. You know, most of the other gods of the universe are impersonal. God is a personal God, and he wants to have a personal relationship with us. It's not just that he's personal, but he would like to have that relationship with us, okay? Is that meaningful in our relationship with him? Is that important to our relationship with him? Okay, anything else about the Sabbath? He's our creator, okay. Does that change our relationship, that he's our creator? Okay. <laughs> We're the created and he is the creator. So the, you see how the Sabbath tells us about God, tells us about ourselves and how to relate to him. The, the creature relates to the creator. Now what if, what if I say, I think I'm equal with you? So what's, what if I say to God, I think I'm equal to you? I'm, 
It's not a creature-creator relationship. I'm equal with you. But he would still love us, but it would be the sin of Satan, wouldn't it? That's what Satan did. He wanted to become like God. Okay, so it tells us that he's our creator. It also tells us that he's our redeemer there in Exodus 31. He's our sanctifier. It also tells us that the future, our future is in his hands. Uh, it also tells us that he is God and that it's not our role to manipulate him, that we live within the context of who he is uh, and accept that. Okay, so the Sabbath tells us many things about God, and of course we could have this discussion for another hour. How about creation, the biblical doctrine of creation? What does that tell us about God? Some of them, of course, overlap. Yes. That he's thoughtful and detailed. Okay. Good. And that can be a model for us. He provides. Okay. He provided the wonderful world. And when we look at the world, I mean, if it was slightly larger, if it was slightly further from the sun, if it, there was slightly less water, if a lot of ifs, we couldn't live here. So he created a world that was beautiful that we could live in. There was a hand here and then over here. Okay. So he was so careful in the details that he created the way he created us. Uh, it would take, right, right. When, whenever you hear studies about the human body, it's just amazing, isn't it? And now they're beginning to look inside the cell and inside the things that are inside the cell. And it's amazing how everything works together so beautifully. Yes. Master scientists. Okay, good. I take it you're a scientist. <laughs> So that's good. So he's a mentor. Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. Very good. So he, in talking about being personal, he was very personal and used his hands to shape humankind uh, and I, I agree with you yeah now what if we take theistic evolution instead of creationism what kind of a god do we have a distant god okay not this personal god that we've been talking about That he, you have a God that designed death to be in existence. A God that designed death to be in existence. Okay, so death was part of his process of creation. Right, right. Yeah. So what does that tell us about God? That he designed death 
into the system. Okay? Yes. Anything else about God? We mentioned one of them this morning. If God is a personal God, why did he wait millions of years to tell us? And at what point did he tell us? You know, when we became an ape, when we became, you know, whatever. whatever. When, when did he tell us that he was a personal God? Christianity says that God's all-loving, all-knowing, all-powerful. Can you say that with theistic evolution? You can say he's all-loving and all-powerful, but not all-knowing, so it just, you know. Or you can say he's, he's all-loving and all-knowing, uh, but not all-rather all-loving and all-powerful, but not all-knowing. Poor God, poor guy, he's operating on four cylinders instead of eight, but he wanted so badly to have humans that he was willing to go through the process of evolution uh, to have them. Or, the worst of all worlds, you can say he's, he's all-knowing and all-powerful, but not all-loving. The worst of all possible. But you can't hold all three of those together and hold theistic evolution. Uh, and then what does it say about us? Remember we said doctrine tells us about us too? I watched a television program where they were studying penguins. And some penguins apparently are homosexuals. Therefore it's okay for us to be homosexuals because we came from the animal kingdom and uh, so it's okay for us to behave the same as they do. Now, from an evolutionary standpoint, isn't that logical? But certainly not from a biblical perspective. So, okay, so, so doctrine tells us about ourselves, it tells us about God, and uh, how to relate to God. And of course, we've just begun these discussions which shows us in part how serious it is if we lose one of our doctrines, how it changes uh, so many others. In fact, we've touched on many different doctrines, just talking about the doctrine of creation here. So, does it matter what we think of God? Well, does it matter what I think of my spouse? Can you see that okay back there? that help? How about that? I'm getting, getting closer? Okay. So which God, which God represents the God of the Bible? First one? Second one? Can you, can you see it from there? Okay. Okay, so who do we worship? The active revealing God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or the gods of Ahab, Ishtar, Jezebel, who do not respond, speak, or act? The God of the Red Sea or the God of the Reed Sea? Did you know that some theologians 
think that God crossed the Reed Sea instead of the Red Sea. The Reed Sea is a, sea is a shallow little sea and the wind blew really hard that day and kind of dried it out and Israel walked across it. Uh, okay, well, which God do we worship? So God is a God of love, is a creator, a judge, personal God, all-powerful, self-revealing, and savior, God of truth, in fact, the source of truth. But, uh, I don't know, this idea that God is judge, I'm not so sure about that idea. But no problem, we'll, we'll, just, we'll just take it out. We, st we still have Jesus there. Uh, the idea that God is truth, that he's self-revealing, no problem, we still have God. The idea that he's my savior, still have Jesus, a personal God. What finally happens when we begin to play with who God is? We end up with an idol. Now some people say, well, we have a big God. And that's true. We have a big God with a big umbrella. He provides an umbrella large enough to cover every group of people. But some people are asking for an umbrella large enough to cover all the gods. And that's not what we're here for. That's not why we're teaching in our schools. That's not why you folks have set up the special schools that you have. We had this one this morning, compromise. Shall we try compromise here? There is no compromise. But yet, so often we overlay philosophy over scripture and make it difficult to understand scripture because we're looking through a philosophical lens instead of a biblical lens. So, can we just get that? Yeah, thank you. Okay. So for many years, I saw myself as a doctor sitting in his office. I would call the Word of God in to try to solve its problems. I had encyclopedias and dictionaries and, and uh, commentaries and so on sitting all around me. And I, w I would check to see if I could diagnose the problems with the Word of God and then uh, when I diagnosed that, I would consult with my colleagues and see if, if they felt the same way, if they corroborated the discoveries that I made. And then I would uh, ask about, you know, how do we resolve the problems with the Word of God? Uh, and again, check with my colleagues. And then I would gently, after all I was dealing with the Word of God, I would gently lay it on the table, incise it, perform surgery on it, try to solve its problems, then try to nurse it back to life. And then I discovered that it's not the Word of God that needs the diagnosis, that I'm the one that needs the diagnosis, that I'm the one that needs to be examined, that I must be willing to be placed upon the table. Helen White says we must be willing to be willing 
that it's not even something we can do ourselves, only through God's power. But I must be willing to be placed upon the table. But I must be willing to have the Word of God operate in my life and bring healing and so on back to health. So does anyone see me in that picture up there? Where am I? Okay, in the corner right here. What am I doing? Yeah, I'm holding up something. Yeah, I have, yeah, I have a candle. What am I doing with the candle? I'm gonna illumine the light of the world. It's kind of a foolish thing to do, isn't it? But yet I thought that was my role, to illumine the light of the world. Uh, and so because of me, now people can see Jesus Christ because I'm shining a light on his face. Christ is the light of the world. Because of Christ, we can see. See, I thought because of me, others can see. But because of Christ, we can see. Christ has shown his light on the world so that we can see and understand the world. Uh, Christ came to his own, and his own did not receive him. A very sad section in John. But those who did receive him can become what? Children, children of God. Isn't that a wonderful promise that we can become God's children and that we can be called of God to be brought into his family and that you can be called to the particular positions that you have been called to in order that you might educate the next generation in the word of God, that they might love the word of God, that they might uh, recognize it as the guide to their lives, the light to their, to their path, um, and that we might have the privilege of sitting together around the throne of God, no longer leading the lights of this world, but being in the light of God's face. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.